We are stepping into not only a new year, but a new decade and a new sermon series. And the title of the sermon series is Back to Basics. Back to Basics. And this series is going to carry us into the first part of the year. I felt very impressed by God that there are things that are basic that we need to press into again. The reason why is it's a new year, but it's also a new decade. And so this sermon that I'm bringing this morning has really kind of been entitled, After the Nativity, Past, Present, and Future. I realized this morning when I was brushing my teeth, thank God for that, but while I was brushing my teeth, that this sermon now means that I'm preaching into my third decade as the pastor of city. That does not mean 30 years, though. This is my 21st year. But because I came at the ending of a prior decade, and now this is the beginning of a new one, this is the third decade in which I'm preaching here at city, and I thank God for that. Now, as we think about stepping into the new year, the idea of past, present, future... The idea of the nativity, which we just came out of the incarnation and looking at the nativity of Christ, what I want to do this morning is read a passage of scripture that I focused on in the last vigil that we had uh, last weekend. By the way, I want to give a big shout out again. There will be a vigil tonight, as well as, as you noticed on the announcement video, we are beginning a time of fasting and prayer this coming week. Now with this idea of after the nativity, past, present, and future, I would like for us to read at the outset of this sermon the episode that follows the birth story of Jesus about him and what Mary and Joseph do. From this, we will be challenged in our own lives as we move into this new decade and we exit an old one. Luke 2, 22 through 35. It's a little bit more reading than we normally do, but I want to read it all for us. I know that some of us are checking out faith. Some of us have not really read the Newer Testament, and so we're going to read this entire story. Here we go. Jesus is presented in the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took him, meaning Jesus, took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die, but before he had had seen the Lord's Messiah moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms And praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in, in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling of and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. If you've ever heard me preach, you know that I often say context matters. And what's amazing about this narrative that we just read Context is actually given to us by Dr. Luke, who wrote this gospel. And what he presents in the context is that there are two laws that Mary and Joseph, as Jews, as people who lived by the Older Testament, even though Jesus is their baby, they're Jewish, they're living by the Older Testament, there were two laws that provide the context for what we just read. The first is a cleanliness law that had to do with Mary just having gone through childbirth. And the second law has to do with the firstborn male child being dedicated to the Lord. Now, an exciting little quick fact about City Church, our team at the beginning of December added up that we have 10 mothers expectant at City between December and mid-January, 10. Five have already been born that I know of. There's five more yet to go. And I know personally, one of the greatest excitements of life is that time when a child is born. And a child's an infant little baby. And if you look at this story, what you would discover is, is that the law of God spoke to Mary as the mother having given birth and spoke to what needed to happen with the first male child. I want to read both of these laws from Moses. The first is Leviticus 12, 6 through 8. And by the way, what we're getting ready to read was mandated 40 days after the mother had given birth, 40 days after. So let's read the law of Moses in Leviticus. Here's what it says. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is, bring, is to bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or dove for a sin offering. He will offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from the flow of her blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now, what's talking, being talked about here is that in the Older Testament, God presents himself, and in presenting himself, he is, a, he is a God who is completely holy, completely holy, completely righteous, completely clean. 
And what you discover, there are laws found in the Older Testament that don't really have to do with what we would call participatory sin. What these laws are, are called purification laws or cleanliness laws. They would be things like this. If just by sheer happenstance you're going through life and you were to bump into or come across, say, a dead carcass of an animal, you would be ceremonially unclean. If you made contact with someone who had disease on their skin, ceremonially unclean. What we know is there are several and different things that could make you unclean, but there were also oftentimes laws around bodily fluids. And around those bodily fluids, if you came in contact with those, you would become unclean. So, a mother giving birth had come in contact with that. And as a sign of cleanliness and of being ceremonially clean in preparation to enter back into the holiness of God, a mother having given birth would have to go through this sacrificial ritual in bringing herself before the Lord. Now, you will also notice there's a second law, and that's Exodus 13.2 that's involved in the context of our story. In Exodus 13.2, God commands to the children of Israel, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the firstborn offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So I want you to catch this. The context for Mary and Joseph coming to the temple to bring sacrifice for Mary and to present Jesus to the Lord are both laws found in the Older Testament. So here we have God saying to the children of Israel, your firstborn male, whether child or animal, is mine. Mine. And by presenting the firstborn male, whether animal or child, what the parents essentially are doing is placing their heart, their love, their future into the hands of God. So they bring this child, and they bring Jesus, and Mary has atonement made because she's ceremonially unclean. And they step into God's presence and they do what the scriptures has commanded them to do. Now as we look at our story, what we would discover is that the other context that I think is so important is we have the law of God, the right things for people to do, but you also have a brand new ingredient and what it looks like because Jesus is in the world. And it's this, the personal participation of the Holy Spirit. It's now moving at a level that's never been seen before. In the Older Testament, you would see it, but it, the Holy Spirit would come upon kings and some prophets, some very unique people. But what we discover about the story of Jesus is that his conception covered through the Holy Spirit. Now we see Mary and Joseph, they're walking out in obedience, they're obeying the laws of God, they're doing what they know is right, and when they step in to the temple, this guy shows up and meets them. This guy's name is Simeon. And Simeon begins to speak to them about their child. What I'm interested in 
Not only in what he says, it's what the Bible says about him. It's what the Bible says about him. What we discover is, is that Simeon and the Holy Spirit are moving together. We see it so clearly in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 27. I just want to show you or remind you what we just read. Here's what the scripture tells us. First, the Holy Spirit was on him, verse 25. Very quickly, verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would, and then third, he was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. And what you find in the Gospel of Luke, there's this brand new trajectory that is brought to us through Jesus being presented through the law of Moses in the temple, Mary walking out what she knows is right, and in the midst of that, Simeon shows up and the Holy Spirit reveals stuff to him, the Holy Spirit is on him, and the Holy Spirit moves him. Now this to me is extremely important as we exit one decade and we move to the other, and it's an important thing as we look at Mary and at Joseph. Here's what I want us to ponder as we look at this just for a moment. It's this. Mary and Joseph, up until this point, have both had an angelic visitation. One to Mary announced the birth of Jesus. The one to Joseph said, no, Mary's pregnancy truly is of the Holy Spirit. But what we discover now is that you've got a man, a person by the name of Simeon, who's now speaking into their lives about this child, and he's also speaking into their lives about how they will be affected by this child. If you were to read the next story, you would discover quickly that you begin with Simeon, and for the sake of time, we're not going to read it, but the next story is about a prophetess by the name of Anna. Anna shows up, and she says something to them as well. So here you have Mary and Joseph, they're being obedient to the law of God, they're doing what they know is right, they're stepping before the Lord, and in the midst of this, this guy named Simeon shows up, the Holy Spirit is on him, the Holy Spirit has revealed stuff to him, and the Holy Spirit is guiding him and meets them in the temple and speaks truth to them, then there's Anna, a woman, who shows up, she does the same. As I looked at this, and I thought about back to basics for this next decade, here's what I want to say to all of us. We desperately, desperately need people who know us and can speak into our lives. Desperately. There had been angelic visits before for Mary and Joseph, but what you will see very quickly in the gospel is that angelic announcement scenario begins to evaporate, and what you begin to see take over is movement of the Holy Spirit and people who are speaking truth and love to other people. As you know, Pastor Keith oversees life groups. He is the one that we hired, and he has become the tip of the spear to see hundreds and hundreds of us get involved with life groups and do life with other people. I want you to notice that the trajectory of Jesus' parents has this, has a man, 
has a woman at the outset while they're presenting that little infant to the Lord, God brings people to speak into their lives. Here's what I want to tell you about my life. There are families here at City that have shaped my life more than any other families I've ever known other than the one that I was born into. These families and my family, we have journeyed together. We have rejoiced and we have wept. We have gone to weddings, we have gone to funerals. We have prayed with each other, we have prayed for each other. We have gathered our children together and we have prayed over our kids in mass. We have eaten countless meals together. We have been confronted in love by one another, and we have been lovingly encouraged by one another. I would say emphatically, as I am preaching my first sermon in the third decade of pastoral leadership, I would tell you this, that your pastor would not have been able to make it up until this point had it not been for these two things, the power of the Holy Spirit and people that I have journeyed with. I would have never made it. And what I want to tell you is, the presentation of Jesus into the temple begins the exact same scenario. God brings people to speak to Mary and Joseph, and the Holy Spirit is revealing things. The Holy Spirit is guiding and the Holy Spirit is involved. Believe me, if Mary and Joseph need it, so do we. So you know now that Pastor Keith is spearheading the new life group setup. If you are not involved in life groups, my prayer for you is one of the things in this new decade, at the beginning of a new year, is that you would commit right now to plugging into a life group so that you will have people that will love you, you will love them. They will lovingly confront you. They will also lovingly encourage you, and you will do the same for them. I want you to notice one quick thing before we jump back into the story. It's this. Notice how the prophet says to Mary, with Jesus in your life, not everything's going to be a bed of roses. You notice that? What does Simeon say? Simeon says, you know what? Jesus is here. He will be a sign that will be spoken against. And oh, by the way, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your own soul. I want to be completely upfront with you. If you have been taught a gospel that teaches you because Jesus is in your life, everything will be a bed of roses, You've been lied to. Got to hear me. That when Jesus shows up, as my son prayed over us this morning, there is shalom in him. There's peace in him. There's literally a calm that can grip you in the midst of the storm. But if you've been taught a gospel that because Jesus is in your life, every single turn will just be prosperity and success, you've been lied to. The gospel goes through us and in us in the midst of difficult times. Jesus is there with us. And I want you to notice that that was prophesied over and blessed over Mary. 
in the midst of her presenting her son according to the law of Moses. Now in every sermon, we talk about feet to our faith. I want to talk about feet to, feet to our faith from this, stor- this story as we step into a new decade, the new year. As I read this story, there are like three movements to a symphony. When I read the story, it's about the past. The law of Moses, Jesus has been born, and now Mary has to deal with her uncleanliness. She must go through a purification ritual. She must become ceremonially clean. She can't do that for herself. It involves bringing a sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would apply that to her life. You see, that's the idea of her past. Then there's the present where Simeon focuses on Jesus and reveals new truths about him. And then there's the future where Simeon speaks about what is to come. But please remember that everything Simeon does is empowered because the Spirit is on him, the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him, and the Holy Spirit is guiding him. He becomes the prototype for the entire church and everyone who follows Jesus and serves others. As we look at our story, where I want us to begin in this service, putting feet to our faith is yes, dealing with our past. We're exiting one decade and stepping into a new one. And as I thought about this for us as a church family and for me in my own life, what dawned on me is that oftentimes if we look at a past decade and there are things that are there that we know are kind of ceremonially unclean, or maybe even things that we absolutely participated in and we know we were outside of God's best, outside of God's will, the Bible calls that sin. And we know that we were outside God's best. We look at the passing of a decade and we kind of say to ourselves, well, I'm just going to leave it there. I want to say spiritually, that's not how things work. There are two quotes by C.S. Lewis who is one of my favorite writers. I want to read both of them, and they're going to help us to frame what we're getting ready to do as a church family very practically in this service. The first quote that I want to bring is from the book that he wrote called The Problem of Pain. Here's what he writes. We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. I have heard others, and I have heard myself, recounting cruelties and falsehoods committed in boyhood as if they were no concern of the present speakers and even with laughter. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or to the guilt of sin. The guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. If we have repented these early sins, we should remember the price of our forgiveness and be humble. So here's this point. As we exit one decade and move into another, as you're sitting here, maybe the Holy Spirit's bringing something to mind from the past decade. And you think to yourself, well, time will take care of it. C.S. Lewis is accurate and it's biblical. Time does not deal with sin. It doesn't. And then there's the second quote that I'd like us to think about. 
Here C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce. I do not think that all who choose wrong roads perish, but their rescue consists in being put back on the right road. A sum can be put right, but only by going back till you find the error and working it afresh from that point, never by simply going on. Evil can be undone, but it cannot develop into good. Time does not heal it. The spell must be unwound. What is he saying? He's saying that if I'm sitting here and I'm exiting one decade and I'm moving into another, that if there's something in that past decade or maybe even decades prior, and I know I've never really dealt with it, he's saying two things. Time won't take care of that. And the other thing is this. Just adding on top of it won't either. He uses a mathematical equation. And what he's seeing, saying here is a great illustration. It's as though you're doing a math problem. You come to the answer. The answer isn't right. How do you correct that math problem? What do you do? You go back to where you made your mistake, right? And you erase everything after that, and then you start over where you made your mistake. What he's saying is you don't get the right answer by continually adding numbers. Doesn't work that way but doesn't spiritually either. You see, repentance is, is when I'm on the wrong road and I admit it, I confess it, and I ask God to put me on the right road. When you came in, or just a few moments ago, you were handed a card. You were handed a pen. I would like for you to take that out in this moment. You see, in the story that we read... We read about how Mary and Joseph are being obedient to the law of God. They're presenting God's own son to God. You see, the law is speaking into their lives. She, she's ceremonially unclean. Not because of sin. It's because of bodily fluid. She needs that purification right. But there are others who have sinned as well. And the way that's made right is by bringing a sacrifice. The beauty of it is in the Newer Testament is that Jesus is our sacrifice. That in him, we can have what happened in the last decade or decades before finally dealt with. Where that sin is truly removed by confessing and repenting. For others of us, maybe the Holy Spirit isn't bringing that to mind, but you've had a skewed priority, where something you knew that God had called you to make a top priority wasn't, and instead you kind of have lived for yourself in that compartment of your life. In this moment, the Lord is saying, and you know you can hear him, he is saying, get that priority where it belongs. Might be financially, spiritually emotionally, relationally, could be in any compartment of life. But again, what C.S. Lewis teaches in the scripture affirms and confirms is that we don't just keep blindly plowing forward and saying time will deal with that. Here's what I know for sure. The vast majority of New Year's resolutions don't make it out of January. They don't. 
As a matter of fact, I was reading an article the other day that health clubs, the last day of January, start removing equipment that they brought in at the beginning of January. They don't need it anymore. People signed up, clicked into an annual due, and never showed up again. But this is different. This is about the Holy Spirit speaking to you and speaking to me and us listening because Simeon is the prototype of the Christian life. The Holy Spirit through Jesus is on us. The Holy Spirit reveals things to us. The Holy Spirit guides and directs us. And if we're going to go back to basics, this is where it starts. It starts with exiting one decade, moving to another one, and letting the Holy Spirit rest on me, letting him reveal things to me, and then allowing him to guide me. One thing I love about the law in the Older Testament, it's highly participatory. You see, the law of Moses demanded that Mary and Joseph together would take their child after 40 days and present him in the temple. Together, there was action. What I'm going to ask that you would do is take a moment in God's presence. I'd like you to take out that card and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you something or some things from the past decade that need to be made right. Again, could be an overt sin. Could be a misplaced priority. Whatever the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind, I want you to write it on that card. Don't let your neighbor see it. It's none of their business. Their list could easily be longer than yours. But I want us all to take a moment to do this in God's presence. So please take out the card, begin to write. As you're writing, I'm going to read again Luke chapter 2. You write while I read. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to present him in Jerusalem to the Lord. For it is written in the law of God, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said, the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and he took the child in his arms and he began to praise God. What I'm going to ask that we would do next is that once you're done writing, once you're done putting down those things that the Spirit of God has pressed on your heart, I'm going to ask now that we would all stand together. And as we stand together, if God has put something on your heart and you've written something on the card, I'm going to ask you to take a step towards the Lord. And as you take a step towards the Lord, I'm going to ask that you begin to move down front. 
And in moving down front, all you're going to do is this. You're going to take that card, place it on the altar, and you're going to pick up a blank one and go back to your seat. So again, whatever you have written down, I can guarantee you this, no one's going to read the card. We will collect them and destroy them. But I'm going to ask that you would take a step of obedience, that you would respond to the Spirit of God. And if there's something that's on your card, that you would step out from where you're seated, that you would please come forward and you would place it on this stage as though it's the altar of God. When you've placed your card, grab a blank one and return to your seat. So again, I encourage you to step out and be obedient to God. As we close out our time together, I want to do two things. First of all, we're going to pray over everything that was placed up front. God, by his grace and his power and his authority and the sacrifice of Jesus, whatever's on these cards would remain in the past decade. But then we picked up a blank card. I believe that the story of Simeon is a prototype for all of us. That if God can allow Mary and Joseph's ceremonially uncleanliness to remain in the past, he can also speak to us through the Holy Spirit about what is to come. I want you to notice that Simeon speaks to Mary and tells her this is what's in the future. I believe the same Holy Spirit that reveals that to Simeon can reveal that to you. And I know this is new for some of us. But I believe with all of my heart that this week, a week of fasting and prayer, is a week that ought not just to deal with our past, but it also ought to be a week where the Holy Spirit speaks to us about this year and this decade. We'd be able to exit this week of fasting and prayer and move forward with a confidence that God is speaking to us by His Spirit. So that's what this card is for. This card is for you to take home, to begin to read the scriptures, and to pray, and ask God, God, what are you saying to me about this next decade? And at the very least, what about this next year? What is it, God, that you would put in my heart? And I believe for some of us that have never done this before, you will be stunned at what the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to you. So again, as we close out our time, can we take a moment to close our eyes but leave our hearts open to the present working of the Spirit? God, these index cards that are on this stage, they are weighty, they are heavy, they are things that have dragged many people down. I pray now through the authority of Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, that each one of these things that has been penned and has been laid down, these things that time and just adding on have not cured, that in this moment, very decisively, through repentance and the power of the Holy Spirit, that everything on every one of these cards would be completely taken care of in you. We surrender them to you through repentance and confession. Now, God, that our past 
is now in you. As it's now in you, we turn our hearts to you in the midst of that. And we ask that you begin to show us what it looks like to walk into this new decade. So Lord, as we hold this card before you, we ask that the same way the Holy Spirit speaks to Simeon, and is on Simeon and reveals stuff to him and compels him to walk and guides him. I pray the same Holy Spirit would do the same for us. Jesus, now we dedicate this next week of fasting and prayer to you. We pray in the midst of it that these cards would begin to hold realities that you reveal to us by your grace and truth. Lord, I thank you for each man and woman that's here. I pray that this would be a decade where you are more real than you have ever been before in our lives and collectively as a church that we call City Church.